Will you be joining us in person in 2022? Register now for CBP Connects presented by Arrived on February 8th and 9th in Norfolk, Virginia for an intimate two-day workshop that is sure to help you better yourself both personally and professionally. In addition to leaving with actionable strategies to grow, CBP Connects is an opportunity to network and learn from your fellow craft beer professionals. You're invited to three nightly receptions at some of the finest breweries in Virginia. Drinks included, thanks to the support of our fantastic industry allies. This is a not-to-miss intimate experience. Visit cbpconnects.com for more information. Cheers. Happy Tuesday, Tristan and Colleen. I appreciate you joining in today. Our other guests weren't able to make it, but either way, I'm really looking forward to just hanging out for an hour and see how everything's going in your world. Now, Tristan, because you are to the right of me, if you could tell everyone else who is watching or watching or listening in the future a little bit about who you are and what you do in the industry. Okay. Uh, my name is Tristan Bissinger. I am a brew operator at Doing Barrels Brewing and Distilling Company down in Pikeville, Kentucky. Uh, I don't know, I've been doing this job for about three years now. Uh, before that, pretty standard, uh, doing the home brewing route, still doing that, still trying to win homebrew comp competitions when I can. Uh, but I, I think that's about all you asked for, right? What do you produce in Doing Barrels? I know you, you, oh, you're on yeah. the beer side, uh, correct? Yeah. So our main thing is producing the Kentucky Ale Base for the Alltech Lexington Brewing and Distilling's Bourbon Barrel Ale. That's our primary. And then occasionally they'll throw some of the seasonals at us to produce. And where are you located exactly? Pikeville, Kentucky. It's on the, the very Kentucky. eastern, yeah, very eastern edge of the state. So not terribly far from where I'm at in Virginia. Sounds like a beautiful destination. Oh yeah, we're right here in the mountains. Oh, I love it. Colleen, how about you? I know you and I have talked before, you presented in CBP as well, but for everyone who hasn't caught you before, what, what do you do in the industry? Uh, yeah, so I'm Colleen Quinn. I'm a co-founder of Second Sip Beverage Consulting, which I founded with my brother, um, who's on the brewing side of the industry. So he's a head brewer at a brewery here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been in the industry myself for about the last six years, spent most of that time at Craft Brew Alliance, um, which has now been acquired by Anheuser-Busch. We used to own uh, Kona Brewing Company and several other breweries around the United States. I led strategy, analytics, uh, kind of commercial planning, mergers and acquisitions, wearing a lot of different hats while I was in the, the CBA world. Um, my final gig there was as general manager for all of our East Coast breweries uh, that we had just acquired. So um, that was a, a fun opportunity for me to get kind of more hands-on on the day-to-day -day operations and not just, you know, pie in the sky, where are we going to be in three to five years? But it's been fun to kind of marry both of those. Um, after the Anheuser-Busch acquisition, you know, I stuck around for a little while, but I think, you know, like many of us, we're always wrestling with, you know, big beer versus wanting to like work with some smaller local breweries. And for me, I wanted to jump back into consulting to be able to use that experience to kind of help smaller breweries, cideries, distilleries, you name it, uh, kind of meet their goals and, and navigate this uh, ever dynamic industry. And what are your thoughts on how the C word consulting is perceived in the craft beer industry? You know, I mean, it's still early days with that. I mean, I've been uh, consulting now for uh, since about April was when we launched Second Sip. And I think you really have to look at it when you're talking to some of these brewer uh, owners and founders and, and operators as, you know, a collaborator um, and, and collaboration is really key in craft. So I think when you approach it from that angle, which is very much the way I like to work with clients, um, then it can be more received. But I think that initial hurdle of like, whoa, like, do I need a consultant? Like, that seems a little bit too corporate for me. It's certainly a barrier that uh, that we're still trying to overcome within the industry. But do you believe that the breweries who understand the value of consultant aren't scared of that word and that they're the ones who you're ideally looking for? Yeah, I mean, and, and I wouldn't say scared. I think there's just maybe right. a lack of understanding sometimes of like, well, what is it that you do here kind of office space style? Um, so there's a little bit of trying to understand kind of how you can complement what they're doing, making sure that 
you know, as a consultant, like I'm never there to try to like step on somebody's toes. It's really to help kind of round out what their expertise and experiences, um, bring some of my own perspective, help give them a third party kind of objective lens to things. Um, and I think once you have those conversations over a beer, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, it all gets uh, pretty well smoothed out and people get a, a better understanding of how we can support them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, Tristan, I want to turn it to you because we've had a really bizarre year and a half and your tap room at Dueling Barrels is still closed. But looking at the past year and a half, what have been some of your actual highlights for the past, you know, pandemic? Uh, well, you know, apart from not being open, being unfortunate. Uh, but one of the things that happened is, you know, kind of what everyone experienced at the start of everything. Everything kind of stopped both in production and life. Uh, so it took us a minute to kind of get back up because once people got started buying packaging again, then we were able to pick up again. But we were actually found out there was a couple of things we were doing wrong in the last few years. As far as like our cleanliness management, uh, we found some issues. So about the best thing that's happened is we were able to refine some of our processes and now we're able to make a better, more efficient product going forward. Are you able to give any examples of what you just referred to? Uh, well, we did get hit with a little bit of a lactobacillus infection, so we tore apart everything. Uh, so we got to learn some uh, interesting intricacies to our to our system. Otherwise, we've been just brewing. <laughs> oh. So, I mean, it sounds like being able to kind of just step back and look at the processes was a good thing. Yeah, yeah, we definitely learned a lot. We were like, oh, this is a thing. And probably yeah, something we wouldn't have had time for otherwise. In yeah, no, because well, when we were brewing 24-7 before, like it never had a chance for a problem to arise because there wasn't the ideal environment. But then we found out, oh, we're leaving tanks, you know, just a smidge too dirty for too long a time. So now, like, if we're not going to do anything with them, we clean them a little better and stuff like that and more regularly. Are you back to running 24-7? Are you allocating a set amount of time or breaks in there at some point? Yeah, uh, we are back to 24-7. We have been since last October. Um, and it works out with our system because we are strictly production. Like, we don't have any packaging or anything like that. So we brew the beer. We get ourselves tank locked. Um, and then we'd send it out 5,000 gallons at a time in a tanker to Lexington where they barrel it and package it and all that fun stuff. And it works out where usually we get two to, well, for anywhere from one to three trucks a week. Um, but it works out where we have about 24 hours, we can turn around 12 brews, which is a tanker's worth. And then it usually, ha we have a day or two of lag time and then that's when we can do you know the, the brew house cleaning and tidying up everything else so we've by default just with how we're set up we're, we've got some built-in cleaning time no that's fantastic now colleen how about you what have been some of your highlights of the past year and a half oh wow um so it, i mean i think for everybody it's been a, a crazy year and a half um so i had gone from I guess at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I was leading a 70 person team running the East Coast for for Crack Brew Alliance. And my job usually had me on the road about 70 percent of the time that came to a screeching halt. And I was uh, trapped like everyone else in my apartment going a little bit stir crazy, to say the least. Um, so we were navigating just like everyone else, kind of the massive shift from on premise sales and our tap room sales to you know, ramping up production and, and canning. And, you know, I would say we were probably in a better situation than a lot of smaller breweries to do that, just given the, the size of CBA's operations. But at the same time, we were trying to gear up and close the Anheuser-Busch deal, which had been announced, but was in kind of DOJ review during that time. So, you know, everyone, all my employees were, were dealing with, you know, the uncertainty of the pandemic, but on top of that, the uncertainty of a pending acquisition and, you know, merger with the the world's largest brewer out there. So really having to just navigate a lot of the emotions that that my team was going through, um, tried to keep people as as busy and focused on kind of the the task at hand of like safely getting good beer out in market and 
and kind of keeping their their mental health, uh, you know, in check since that was a really tough time for a lot of people. Um, but then when the, you know, acquisition went through, we were things had started to open up at that point, but we were still going through a massive integration uh, without being able to do any travel or in-person meetings, which integrations in any acquisition are tough enough. But when you try to do those all remotely, it's just really tough to kind of gel culturally and like really connect with your new coworkers, uh, which are always challenges in and of itself in any acquisition and just get, you know, amplified in this environment. So yeah, then it was a lot of, you know, navigating that, who's going to jump into different roles, how that was all playing out, um, trying to adjust for that myself because I was trying to navigate that personally, um, but also be there for my team and, and everyone else that was trying to figure out kind of what their path was going to look like in the new organization. Um, and yeah, for me, I once things really started opening up, I personally was just, you know, ready to get back on the road. So I've been living a little bit of a nomadic life for the last uh, two months. I spent the summer in New England, bouncing around to a bunch of different places and, uh, you know, meeting up with a lot of different breweries and, and launching the consulting business. I apologize for that. I'm not quite sure what happened on my internet. And I think that's one of the challenges we've all faced during this pandemic, trying to stay connected, but also disconnect sometimes ourselves. So Colleen, you're talking about, you know, how you manage that, that acquisition, you know, just trying to connect with your coworkers. You know, how were you able to connect with people during that time? I mean, it, it has to be definitely hard when you're meeting people for the first time, but trying to build a working and professional and Oh, no. Uh oh. You froze a little bit there, Andrew. Um, but I'll uh, I'll jump in because I think I get the gist of of what you were asking. You know, I mean, not surprisingly, a lot of Zoom calls, uh, just like everyone else uh, navigating this. So I was spending a lot of time uh, looking at myself and uh, and others in little boxes, just like we are right now. Um, and you know, we tried to do. Zoom happy hours. We tried to send product to each other. You know, I had text chains going with my leadership team. Um, so I, I mean, just small things to stay connected. It was certainly tough. Uh, I think with my existing team, it was easier since we had been able to um, build a rapport and and meet in person uh, several times. But uh, it was certainly a challenge to you know connect with some of the new coworkers. At this point in time, I'd like to invite David to the stage. David, I appreciate you joining us today. I know you're in New York. You're in Orange County, New York, not Orange County of any of the other states we might know in Orange County. Probably. Florida, California. Is there any other Orange Counties? Uh, I, I think there's one in almost every Orange, <laughs> Is Orange County, New York, the prettiest of the Orange Counties? Uh, I would say no. <laughs> it is pretty, but uh, I would say the Orange County in Florida and the Orange County in California uh, it, are also much nicer. Uh, most well, hopefully Orange County is doing well. But <laughs> what do you do in Orange County? I mean, you, you were at Apex Brewery. Tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do in the industry. Uh, I am uh, I'm the owner of Apex Brewery, um, as well as uh, the head brewer over here. Um, in addition to that, I, I also work in advertising and uh, own a random roller skate shop. <laughs> so I don't sleep. That's basically what we get. To. So roller skate <laughs> shop. Is that what you just said? Yeah, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you, you don't own it anymore? No, no, no more. No more businesses pass out of that. <laughs> did you ever think to combine the roller skate idea with the brewery idea? Was that ever, you know, an idea on the table? Uh, if I was facing my taps right now, uh, you would see that they actually have roller skate wheels as the handles. <laughs> that is amazing. But there's no roller skating at the brewery. Is that uh, not currently? I, I have contemplated actually doing the whole service on skates thing. Um, it would be at least fun. Um. <laughs> How have your uh, bartenders responded to that idea? <laughs> 
Well, uh, you know, it's funny because uh, the wife and I actually met uh, playing roller derby years ago. Uh, so uh, she would be fine with it uh, for sure. Uh, some of the other staff might fall. <laughs> well, I think it's better for the staff to try roller skates and potentially the guests to try roller skates. That could be an even greater liability. Uh, yeah, that's definitely an insurance liability, and my insurance uh, carrier would not love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, we were asking before you got here, you know, how you've been able to maintain relationships over the past year or so. You know, how have you been able to stay engaged with your staff and just people in your life through this tough time we've had? Uh, you know, fortunately for us, you know, uh, we we never quite hit a full shutdown here, uh, so that's been good. Um, you know, a lot of it's been, uh, you know, engaging with the local community groups on Facebook, uh, making sure that, you know, uh, we keep our chains of communication open for people. Like when people come to us with feedback, you know, we try to address it quickly as well as, you know, um, maybe respond to it in a manner that fulfills their need. Um, and then, and then a lot of it's been, uh, you know, just finding the the, the most uh, direct means of communication that like is almost instantaneous. Um, I would say the thing that we're adding this week, um, which is kind of on top of our, our our other methods, which is you know social media and email, is is adding a uh, a direct text to uh, consumer platform, which of course, as we all know, has uh, its issues with you can't actually talk about alcohol on that, but you can talk about everything else as a brewery. <laughs> So that's something really fun to dive into. So when, when I talk to breweries about connecting with their guests, I mean, obviously you're going to connect in the tap room. You know, you want to have some sort of mailing list where you're kind of keeping that communication flowing. And I always tell breweries if they're considering you know, the text message marketing, you truly have to know your customers. Is that something they want? So before you launched it, is this something you kind of researched a little bit? Or how did you decide it was the route you wanted we, to go? We talked through to a lot of our customers and a lot of them, you know, have been almost pulling back from social media a little bit more. So they're not getting that same kind of access to the information that we've been putting out in that manner. Um, so, you know, some of them have specifically requested that we use alternative methods of communication. So that way they don't have to necessarily utilize social media to get the information from us. And what tech service are you using? Uh, I'm actually going to be using the uh, the one built into Square, which is the Square marketing platform. Um, that's currently the, uh, the POS that we're using. Um, if that changes, um, being the person that I am, I might actually build my own bespoke system. Oh my gosh. But well, I think it's a great way to stay in touch. Sorry, my uh, my refrigerator uh, condenser just went on. <laughs> I was saying, I think it's a great way to stay in touch. And Colleen and some of the breweries that you've worked with, are you seeing anyone use text message marketing? Um, I haven't seen it uh, yet. Um, I, I think certainly some have talked about it, but I think a lot of them, similar to what you were saying, Andrew, are, are trying to navigate, like, is that too intrusive? Like, it, what's the right way to do that? Because I think, I mean, I, I liken it almost to, like, when your parents are trying to use, like, social media versus text messaging versus calling, and they can never just pick the right, like, form of communication for the message. And I feel like uh, sometimes businesses run into that as well. So I think it's making sure that you do it in, in the right way. I'd be interested how David uh, kind of customized that communication. And I think a lot of it also is the cadence, right? So like, you know, with a cadence of, uh, of a text messaging platform, I would say that you want to be very wary of over communicating. Um, you know, with email, obviously, like that'll go into your, you know, your different folders in, in Google if you're using Google. So it's easy to like navigate, hey, this is a promotion. And then, you know, half the time people don't see it, um, you know. So with text messaging, it's definitely more instantaneous, which is nice, but at the same time can be kind of intrusive. So, you know, you have to keep it to like a once a week, you know, update. And whether that links out to another campaign that they actually click on or whether it's actually giving you all the information in the text is another, another piece of it. So. Um, and it's funny because coming from, you know, 25 years of, of digital advertising background, you know, uh, <laughs> it's all coming together. It's all coming together. So, you know, there's a little bit of backstory there, uh, you know. <laughs> so if anyone's going to do it, you're, you're probably best positioned to navigate that relative to uh, a lot of the breweries out there. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely helpful to, to have that background. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's been a boon. <laughs> Now, I read a study once, and David, it could be a study you wrote since you spent 25 years in digital marketing, but it said that, you know, the average email has about a 20% open rate and text message is about 90% open rate. So there's I definitely the value in that <laughs> higher ability to connect with people, yeah. at least you know they read it. 
text message is definitely better. I think that uh, honestly, like a 20% open rate on an email is a high rate for anything that's actually marketing. Um, no, yeah, I agree. I get excited when I hit that 20 mark. Yeah, 20 is like, oh, wow, my customers love me so much, you know, whereas, you know, it's it's definitely the one that I've seen a lot of is like, you know, so uh, just looking at the metrics on on my uh, advertising stuff, like the birthday program, you know, like, you know, it's funny because people sign up for the birthday, like, you know, uh, kind of thing where they get like, you know, a free coupon for their birthday. And like that's got like a 60 percent open rate. Um, and like a 60% activation rate, which is kind of awesome. So like little things like that, where, you know, you have that personalized ketone, like at touch point, um, is super nice. And it makes people think that you actually care about them, um, which is, is also kind of important. It's not just, Hey, we've got beer come in. It's like, Hey, you know, we actually care about who you are as a person. Um, and we're going to give something back noticing that. So. No, yeah, great feedback then. Now, Tristan, because you're on the production side of things and don't probably actively work in the marketing side where you're trying to reach the customer, what are your thoughts from the back of house on, you know, something like the text message marketing? Is it something when you wear a consumer hat that you would want to receive? Uh, um, I do oh, like it. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah, from the consumer side, I do, I definitely, open, like I said, open more uh, text messages than I do my emails to so the promotional folder tends to fill up really fast. Like you try and stay on top of it, but then it's just like everywhere. Um, but uh, we've always done more of the social media side for our promotional type stuff. We always tell people, if you want to hear anything about us, it's via Facebook where we're not open right now, at least on the dual and barrel side, we don't post a whole lot, but our parent brand Lexington Brewing, they're posting pretty regularly on the various social medias. I don't think they do text, but they definitely do the social medias and some email stuff. Interesting. We were talking a little bit earlier to kind of change the conversation up a little bit. You know, we're going into a new, weird, new, new normal right now as we kind of deal with this Delta variant and a little bit of unsure of what's coming next. Are there any current challenges you all are facing? Tristan, let's start with you. Are there any new challenges you're facing at the brewery? I mean, obviously your tap room's not open, but as a whole and on all your brands, what are the challenges you're currently looking to attack? Uh, right now, the biggest one is just making sure we're still getting beer and spirits out. And so far that hasn't been a problem. As far everything I've heard, uh, nothing is slowing down on any of our production fronts. So we're still, we're still doing good there. Um, where we're at in Kentucky, we've kind of hit, we've kind of inverted from the first round of the pandemic where during the, the normal COVID, we were fairly low infection and stuff like that. But now with the Delta, we've almost flip-flopped. We're, we're leaning towards some of the hotter areas. So it's, it makes the direct to, or direct interaction a little bit more of a challenge. I know. So I would take it that your tap room is probably going to be staying closed for a bit longer. Yeah that's looking to be the case unfortunately so i mean i know your company is part of a larger brand and you're doing a lot of production for the facility in lexington as you mentioned but how do you maintain the dueling barrels brand during all of this are you putting stuff out in the market where can customers find your brands uh they can find us in the various liquor stores um the, our one beer brand, the Pike Ale, that one's been out. That's the only one of ours that ever made it to packaging. And when the shutdown happened, they're just like, we we couldn't at that point send anything else out because there wasn't enough brand awareness for it. Um, we've got that and then our moonshines are still available in the liquor stores. Otherwise, we still have an existing contract for, to provide beer for the event center in town. So we send, well, we personally don't send it over. They make it for us in Lexington because they've, like I said, they got all the packaging and stuff down there and a small, and they have a smaller system to feed our, the lower need that we have there. So like, so we're still available, but not in person. No, understood. Thanks for sharing all that. Colleen, how about you? You talked to probably so many brewers and I know you just got back from a pretty nice can I call it a vacation? Was it a research trip? What What did you just get back from? Yeah, so um, I, I you were maybe breaking up at the time, but I, after being a little bit stir crazy for a while, I decided to live the nomad life for a bit. So um, I'm I wouldn't call it a vacation since it's it's what my life is right now. Um, so it's a lot of uh, you know working on, you know, with clients, you know, usually in the morning, trying to meet and, and prospect new clients, depending on the location that I'm at. So hitting up a lot of breweries and distilleries along the way, 
Um, but yeah, just, uh, you know, living normal life just in a lot of different locations. And I would say, you know, how people are responding to, you know, kind of the new surge. I, I think what I'm seeing the most is uh, companies and uh, breweries really wrestling with um, mandating vaccinations for their staff versus keeping that optional, um, how they manage kind of uh, mask mandates for their their tap room, which I'm seeing more and more go back to kind of requiring it fully rather than the optional, like, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to, if you're not, you don't. Um, and, and, you know, even, even as the vaccines uh, were rolling out, you know, I saw so many breweries that did vaccination drives at uh, their, their breweries, which I think, you know, from everyone that I talked to that did that, those were wildly successful in churning out people to their tap room, but also just, you know, connecting with the community and helping kind of drive vaccinations up, which is good for everyone. So I think, you know, breweries are, are really having the opportunity as kind of, you know, tent poles within their communities to really drive the dialogue and, and kind of increase the vaccination and kind of public health awareness out there. Absolutely. I mean, breweries are social centers and the more guests all of your breweries have, the more successful they will ultimately be in, in so many different fronts. But along your travels, did you make any unique observations or see some really well done strategies that you hadn't thought of before executed by some of the breweries or distilleries you stopped at? Is there anything that just made you go, wow, that's a really good idea? Or on the contrary, did you see anything that you're like, oh my gosh, that's terrible? You don't have to yeah, name that brewery, I mean, of course. Or distillery. I, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, dismiss any of the, the breweries that I sat on, but I, I think what what I'm observing a lot in the industry right now, and I think was reinforced by a lot of my visits, is just um, a little bit like sadly that like a lot of taproom experiences have become really dime a dozen, very cookie cutter. And you know what I'm always encouraging uh, the breweries that I talk to is to really like own their brand, not have a like if we brew it they will come mentality. Make sure that their experience is appropriately differentiated because you know, you walk into all these tap rooms and they might have slightly different aesthetics, but you know, most of them have their like generic black tap handles, not even branded tap handles. And if you think of, you know, consumers visiting multiple breweries a day, they're not going to necessarily remember where that amazing, you know, double IPA that they had was because it just all starts to blur together. So really making sure that you're doing something different and special. And for, hey, everyone exactly. after the fact on, yeah, for everyone listening after the fact on Spotify, uh, David, can you explain what you just showed on camera? Uh, so that's uh, actually some uh, bespoke roller skate wheel tap handles. <laughs> that I'm sure you made yourself. Am I right? Uh, 110%. Yes. Uh, you know, I have a drill press up, uh, you know, up front there. And I basically just built those out uh, as we were getting open. So, yeah. And then we actually no, have awesome. a couple we have like random roller skates hanging on the back of the bar and uh, you know, people are always like, Oh, what's that about? <laughs> then you dive into the story of your past. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it's always a, it's always a, an interesting story when people find out that I traveled back and forth to, uh, to Finland to play for the Finnish national roller derby team. They're like, wait, you did what? <laughs> wait, you did or you do? I know I did. I know I'm no longer doing that. Um, you know, uh, it was something I did for about three years and I, I actually played in two roller derby world cups, one in Canada and one in, uh, in Barcelona. So you're from Finland. Uh, my, my father's from Finland and, uh, my two brothers and my sister live there. So did you live there at any point in your life? Did you no. grow up there? No, I, I grew up here. Um, I was uh, born, born and raised here in New York. <laughs> that is still a very cool aside though. But looking at the tap room right now, and Colleen made an observation that, you know, so many tap rooms are very similar experiences. You know, David, I love to hear, you know, how you're differentiating in the current state of the world, like with tap room visits being a, a little bit more intentional. I like to think people are coming out a little bit more than they were a few months ago. We'll kind of see where the trends go. But how are you creating an experience that's not only safe, but, you know, that makes them want to return? Uh, you know, uh, I think a large part of it has just been you know, it's this, it's this fine line, you know, it, it's, it's a tough one, especially with the, the current new normal. Um, you know, we, we've actually just gone back to like the staff wearing masks. All of our staff was vaccinated very early. 
um, you know, which is, which is a benefit here in New York, you know, uh, you know, restaurant and uh, bar staff was actually high in the list of, of people that could actually get vaccinated. Um, uh, as far as, you know, the safety side, um, you know, if we look at my space, I've got 18 foot ceilings in here and like some nice positive down pressure fans, which helps uh, like kind of contain and move air. Um, and we tend to, uh, you know, leave our, our doors open, which actually helps make the safe, the space a little bit more safe. Um, if you recall, uh, like I was at MIT, I think that did a study on, you know, the actual like transmission rate of COVID based on, you know, the, the actual square footage in space. Um, and I think our, our space was like, it was a 90 minutes before you would like necessarily get COVID if you were sitting in the same room with somebody. Um, so obviously like, you know, adding masks to our staff, um, is, is, is a smart move. Um, however, for some reason, COVID is still a divisive thing, uh, which I find hilarious. Um, it's, uh, you know, Hey, you know, people get hot about it. They get hot about like, you know, the vaccine thing and vaccine mandates. Um, you know, when we first, uh, when we first were like, you know, getting to the point where we could do like the mask thing, you know, New York offered up a really easy tool that allowed us to scan a digital like vaccination card that didn't even necessarily give them any more information than that. And people still tried to conflate that with Nazi Germany, which I was like, are you kidding me? It's like, no, I'm just asking to see like if you're vaccinated or not. This is like not the same thing at all. Um, and, you know, we actually lost customers over it and that was really disheartening. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's again, it's, um, I'm, I'm seeing that it's probably going to be a mandated thing. They're doing it in New York City now, uh, where like in order to go into a restaurant or a bar, you actually have to show proof of, of vaccination. Um, will there be, you know, forgery cards? Probably, um, you know. Uh, I saw an article the other day that at a border of some state, people confiscated a lot of forged, forged, you know, vaccine cards, and they were trying to sell them on the black market for like 400 bucks. But we won't dive too far into that conversation. But I yeah. would like to ask you, David, the flip side of this, you know, you may have lost some customers because they don't agree with something your company stands for. But on the other side of things, do you help it? Has it helped you gain more loyalty with those who do support you? Uh, you know, I think a lot of it has been, you know, just making sure that like, you know, we're, we're offering like a, a decent variety of things. We were actually also, and it's, I know it's a dirty word, but like we added seltzer really early on in the pandemic and it probably saved our butts. <laughs> and then, uh, we did this neat thing that, that actually has like really worked for us. Um, instead of making any specific flavors of seltzer, like a lot of folks do, where they actually add the fruit in, like, you know, in their, in their secondary, in their bright tanks, uh, we actually keep it uh, blank and just add a stabilizer to it and then offer fruit puree on demand for people. Um, and that allows people to, like, tailor their experience, like, in the tap room. And honestly, that has been wildly successful. Um, I, I was shocked at how successful that was. People were like, oh, you mean I get to choose the flavor? Like, you know, and we have a four or five different fruit purees, like in, in a standard Amoretti pump or, or Monin pump, depending on what brand we have right now. Um, and it's been, uh, that has been uh, actually gotten a lot of regulars out of that. Interesting. You're using a puree, not a syrup? Yeah, puree, not a syrup. Awesome. And it's, I guess it's very, very well received because you said it saved your butt the past little while. I definitely like if, if I look at my numbers over the like starting in January through now, uh, I think Seltzer's that specific style, like, you know, and doing the Seltzer is as sadly uh, kind of moved into the top three. <laughs> what do you call your Seltzer brand? Is it under Apex Brewery or do you have any name? Apex Seltzer is such as well, it's not even got a name. Uh, we, we jokingly started like, you know, we jokingly thought about calling it the commissioner uh, and there's a there's there is a story there and it actually ties into the whole like you know fact that like you know we've got this light roller roller skate roller derby theme the guy that used to run the the, the old school bank track roller derby uh was called his name is jerry seltzer <laughs> but people jokingly his name he was the commissioner so people called him the commissioner so <laughs> we're actually getting ready to rebrand, I think, our seltzer to be uh, the commissioner. <laughs> no, I love that. That's hilarious. Now, Tristan, are you doing seltzer at Dueling Barrels? Uh, we are not doing a seltzer, well, sort of. Uh, we've got some hard teas that we've done, some barrel-aged hard teas that we've been doing. So we've got a plain sweet tea, uh, peach, lemon, half, a lemonade half and half, and... 
think raspberry is the other flavor. That, and is that good. something you launched during the pandemic or was those, or those brands you were offering pre, you know, 2020? They, they officially got launched during the pandemic, but they were like getting ready to be sent out just beforehand. Like and I, how do you I, think? Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no. Um, when I first tried them, it was actually before we had gotten them into cans. They were running them on the bottling line. So it was real, real weird drinking a hard tea out of a glass bottle. So that's almost always in a can, just even before they were new. Well, new. Um, but then that was while they were getting our can the canning line set up in Lexington. But now everything gets pushed out in the can. I don't see been good. People have been liking them. Are they made at your production facility or are they made in one of the others for your company? They're made down at our Angliana facility in Lexington. And how do you believe they're doing in the market right now? From everything I've seen, pretty good. We don't have a huge craft beverage market on this side of the state, just where we're in the mountains. It's still kind of your, your old fashioned sense there. Um, but as from what I can see, they're, everywhere and they're being drunk i see them in social media posts every now and again from not just the company but from you know different consumers so they seem to be doing i know what i know at your facility you obviously involved in the beer production you mentioned moonshine earlier you know are any unique trends with regard to either during the pandemic uh as far as i can tell that stayed pretty much consistent if they were drinking the moonshine before they kept drinking it after because you can only buy it either in our gift shop or at the local liquor stores. And every now and then I'll see the spot run out at a couple stores and like, okay, well, they're selling it. So there it goes. That's good stuff. Now, Colleen, I know you actually even submitted a proposal on diversification in your portfolio for the upcoming virtual conference, which we'll probably be talking on, which I can't wait. But what are some of the more unique, you know, forays into new products that you've seen be successful over the past year? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly, I mean, seltzers and hard teas are, are in that dialogue for sure. I think 2021, uh, back in, in 2020, I declared that 2021 was going to be the year of the tea. And I, I think it's very much been that. Um, one of the breweries I was working with launched a hard tea this year, um, really trying to model it off of twisted tea and kind of play into that space, but still in a better for you way. Um and I think really what we're seeing now after the seltzer boom is this kind of convergence of better for you, but flavor. And so that's where you're seeing the hard teas, the lemonades, the truly punches. And so I think it's it's really a lot about um, kind of healthier FMBs is, is really where it's going to. And so, I mean, flavor malt beverages had always hovered around like 5% of the, the total industry. If you look like 20, 30 years in the past, no matter what that FMB was, it was always kind of churning a lot of different innovation, whether those were, you know, not your father's root beers or hard teas or Mike's hard lemonades or, or now seltzers. But now that's jumped so substantially with seltzers, if you count them in that category, um, which I which I think is the, the right place for them to be uh, captured. And so now I think you're just seeing a lot of innovation off of those things um, going around. And, you know, from my perspective, and, and I debate this a lot with my brother, who's a brewer, uh, who, who probably used to think of seltzer similar to David as kind of the, the bad word in the, the marketplace. But ultimately, I think we should all be in the business of giving consumers what they want. And craft has always been about a wide variety and jumping on, you know, new innovations and new trends rather than just sticking to the status quo. So I think it's, you know, core to the craft DNA to jump on whatever kind of new innovation and kind of popular trend is out there and make sure that we're doing it in the right way for our consumers. David, I think the way you're doing it of like, you know, a, a more crafted with purees and kind of base is a, is a really unique way to do it. And I think put your own twist on it. And so for me, it's, you know, breweries shouldn't be be shy about jumping kind of headfirst into some of these new trends as long as they do it in a way that, you know, feels right for them, feels right for their brand, and really think about how to make sure that it is uh, incremental to their business. So, but I, I think, you know, breweries need to think about that with, 
with any beer that they launch as well. And, you know, Andrew, I think if, if we end up talking to the fall conference on a portfolio strategy, the word incrementality will probably come out of my mouth more times than anyone wants to hear in an hour long presentation, because I think that's the crux of, uh, of anyone thinking about uh, their portfolio in a, in a really strategic way. No, absolutely. And incrementality is a great word too. It's a fun one to say, but you know, <laughs> looking at when companies that launch say a seltzer brand or a tea brand from your perspective, should they keep it under the same umbrella or like, like David's doing, or should they brand it separately? Do you have any you know thoughts on value of each? I mean, I've, I've seen it done. Um, both ways. Um, I've seen it separate brands, same brands, sub brands, um, kind of as like the brewery as an endorser, but like putting, you know, uh, the seltzer as, as a somewhat different brand. Um, I, I think what makes sense is different for, for every brewery. And it depends on kind of the, the DNA of your existing brand and how well uh, a seltzer kind of product extension can fit into that. Um, I wouldn't say to force fit it if it's not, you know, if you're a brewery that's been hyper focused on sours and then and like you have such a specific style orientation to your to your brewery and what you specialize in, probably don't muddy the waters by launching your seltzer brand under that same brand. Um, it'll be confusing to consumers. It won't be beneficial for you. But for others, you know, um, the, the brewery that I, I used to manage, uh, Cisco Brewers, we went back and forth a lot around what to launch their hard tea uh, brand under, whether we were going to um, kind of completely like rebrand it. Um, they're based in Nantucket. So we played around with like Island and Nantucket and a lot of different ideas floating around. We came back to, to launching it under the Cisco brand um, with somewhat of a different look and feel on shelf, but still connecting it back to kind of the the core beer product line. Um, and that's what felt like made sense for, for that brand, given that, you know, their ethos is a lot about variety and approachability and, you know, casting a wide net style wise. So um, it, it made more sense to kind of stick to that within um, their hard tea line, but um, there's no one size fits all strategy there. No, absolutely not. And David, for your seltzer, or should I say the commissioner, you know, are you looking to put it out in the market? Is it strictly in the tap room? It's strictly in the tap room currently. Are there any plans to take it outside? Uh, not at this juncture. It is something that we are not, uh, not, not open to. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, no. I just pulled my numbers real quick and actually seltzer uh, is the top seller <laughs> for the last, you know, eight months. Maybe wow. you need to rebrand to Apex Seltzery. All right. <laughs> but, you know, Tristan and everyone here today, you know, we see the seltzers in more like the sleek packaging. You know, how do you envision proper packaging for like a bourbon barrel tea like you're doing, Tristan? Are you seeing putting it in a slightly different package, be more successful and differentiated on the shelves? Or Colleen, what are your, I mean, I know Tristan, you mentioned it came in a glass bottle, correct? Uh, that just when it was, they were trying it out and nailing down the flavors. That was that was just temporary. It never got but released to the market now. in a bottle. It was always on market in a can. Got it. Well, no, with the branding, is it differentiated from you know the brewery brands, distillery brands, and the other products out there? Nope. It still falls under the Lexington Brewing and Distilling. It's just the barrel HTs of whatever flavor. So very cool. But I and, think and you raise a good point, Andrew, because it's the seltzer section of any aisle is just a sea of white skinny cans, right? It all looks so generic and really making sure that similar to whether or not you kind of name it and brand it, you know, apex seltzer or, you know, something different, really what that packaging looks like and whether how close in you want it to be to your beer packaging versus further out. There's a lot of, a uh, lot of things to play with. And there's always this balancing act of you want to play a little bit off of the visual cues of the category. So uh, white can be important in the seltzer category, but not if you end up doing it in a really disingenuous way. Uh, Kona Brewing Company that I worked with launched their Kona seltzer during the pandemic. We thought that it was gonna be like a, you know, 50,000 case test, few test markets in year one. And we uh, sold over half a million cases in the first year. 
and that was uh, that was with a can shortage. We probably would have kissed closer to a million had we been unbridled in the ability to get cans there. But they went completely different. No skinny cans. They did a standard 12 ounce can. The packaging is like you right. know a tropical Hawaiian shirt. The flavors are very Hawaiian, um, and and they branded it still with the Kona name, but it was. Kona Spiked Island Seltzer, another situation where they really had to think about whether they just going to slap Kona Brewing Company on it or not. And so I think they've they've done a really good job at making sure that they did seltzer in an authentically Kona way, not just, you know, chasing the the standard category cues. Well, that's a really interesting point you make there, Colleen, because earlier we talked about, you know, how you provide that unique taproom experience. But I believe that relates really well to how you provide that unique branding while at the same time matching your customers' expectations. Like you mentioned, the shelter shelf is just a ton of white, sleek cans. Is it standing out and doing something different? Is that something that can be to your advantage or are people expecting that sleek look where by being different, it sets yourself apart, but in a negative way? I think it's a really interesting point. I'm sure any brand has to, you know, dive into what they want to do. For sure. And again, just like most other things, there's no kind of singular answer. I think there is benefit from being able to pop off the shelf so long as you're doing that in a way that people still understand what product is in that can. Um, and that's probably the main balancing act to make sure that people understand what they're what they're picking up. Um, while still being drawn to pick that up versus other competitors that you're on the shelf with. Uh, no, agreed. Now I want to change the conversation really quickly. You know, so many businesses, not just in craft beer have struggled the past 18 months. And one thing that I've really enjoyed watching is the amount of collaboration, whether it's from within our industry or, you know, craft breweries working with other neighborhood businesses to come together to try to offer something to the consumers as a whole. What are some of the more unique collaborations you all have taken part in or observed over the past while? Well, actually, funny story with a collaboration we were doing. Uh, so the week, the weekend after, well, I guess technically we right after our shutdown. So we had just done a collaboration brew with one of the other breweries in town, and then also one of the coffee roasteries. So it was going to be a barrel aged coffee stout. Um, we were the, we were going to be releasing that to the public on that uh, St. Patrick's Day. And then the shutdown happened like the week we were supposed to be launching this brand or yeah, yeah brand that was a collaboration with us. And what worked out funny with it is trying it on tap when we were going to release it, it was still too green. Like, cause we, we had used some fresh hops for a, a bit of a dry hopping on it or no, not, sorry, not dry hopping, but a late edition boil hop. And it still had that really vegetably matter to it. And then, turn around to almost a year later go to release it in bottles and then all of a sudden it's turned into this wonderfully smooth easy drinking imperial stout and it's just like oh that worked in our favor yeah yeah glad it worked out that way for you yeah so that was fortunate but that, that's my collaboration thing that we've got that we've done so we've got a local uh like micro roaster uh that we're getting ready to do a little collaboration with uh, that, uh not so far from us which is kind of going to be fun and this guy is like one of these guys that's like actually like gone to tanzania to pick out his own beans and you know his has it's probably his his whole roastery is like probably the size of my beer cooler <laughs> how did you get connected with him uh, he came into the tap room uh, one day and, uh, you know, just kind of, we, so he started talking, you know, drinking the beer. He's like, we started like just mentioning a couple, like, he mentioned a couple of like specific beans that he had. And I immediately started going into like, oh, I know exactly what yeast I would marry that with to like really pump up those flavors. Um, you know, and just kind of, you know, he was like, oh, I like where your head's at. <laughs> so, so this wasn't planned at all. It, it just kind of happened. You met organically happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So have there been any planned collaborations you've gotten involved with over the past year and a half? I mean, well, not necessarily just for beer production or yeah. unique recipes, but just relationship building. Uh, you know, outside of just people like, you know, uh, kind of getting each other's backs in the region, you know, like, you know, I, 
I ran out of crawlers and like, that was like a death move for the week, you know, like it was like, I really needed to have those. And, and one of the other breweries was like, yo, we got you. Um, and then like, you know, they reached back out like later, they're like, yo, we're in the same situation. I was like, I got you. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, you know, just kind of, do you feel David that breweries have got, yeah, I agree. With you. Do you feel breweries have been even more collaborative through the pandemic? I would say uh, somewhat, uh, you know, it's definitely been, you know, we're, people are sending people around to other breweries, you know, um, I, I've also seen some people uh, as the market is tightening up a little bit, uh, being a little less collaborative. Yeah, that's absolutely why I ask, because right now, I mean, you're all fighting for the customer dollar and people are essentially going out less. So, you know, while they may be your neighbor, they may be your friend, they could also be your competition. And Colleen, what are your thoughts on that? Are you seeing the industry right now more collaborative or are you seeing, the, you know, 10 years ago in, in a certain area, maybe all the brewers knew each other and you had the opportunity as a consumer and a brewery owner to know everybody and visit everywhere. But now, you know, as more breweries and tap rooms pop up in certain areas, you know, you are fighting for the customer's dollars. So what are your observations with your regard to how collaborative the industry is, is currently and becoming? Yeah, I mean, I, I still think collaboration is at the core of the craft industry. Um, I, I think maybe the the ways and degrees to which breweries uh, can do that might change as they have to also think of themselves as as a business and they just had to weather this really tough storm, uh, you know, financially in a lot of situations. So I, I don't think that's going to get rid of the collaboration in the industry. And, and to a certain degree, I think there was a lot of you know, people just trying to band together and, and look out for each other um, during this, whether you're, you know, a brewery owner or just a, a normal person trying to help, you know, your fellow citizens navigate such a crazy time. Um, on the collaboration front, though, you know, I'll uh, I'll shamelessly plug my brother, um, as I often do on, on these things. I think one of the cool things that he launched uh, during uh, the pandemic was uh, the Many Faces Initiative, which he did in collaboration where, with the North Carolina Brewers Guild um, to have a diversity scholarship for uh, for the Brewers Guild and to send uh, uh, minority, uh, you know, uh, black black people, people of color to uh, to the North Carolina Craft Brewers Conference. It started just as a collaboration beer and kind of speaker series, and it's now expanded into an internship program with, I think they had five uh, North Carolina breweries participate and uh, and a cidery involved as well. So um, those interns, I think, just wrapped up their summer capstone project. And, um, you know, it seems like it was a really good program, launched several beers under the Many Faces brand to raise money for the next round of internships going on. So I think that was a really, you know, unique way to kind of um, jump on, on kind of the you know, conversation that was getting started about the lack of diversity and inclusion within the craft industry and many other industries and do it in a really kind of authentic and local way, getting a lot of other breweries involved and, um, you know, really proud of him for doing that. Maybe Andrew froze or, or he's just like really soaking it. <laughs> I think Andrew's. I think Andrew did freeze. <laughs> Not quite sure what happened just there. I apologize. You know, I always make sure I have strong internet, and today is not my day, apparently. But I was saying, Colleen, is the Many Faces campaign something they're going to be doing on an ongoing basis now? Uh, yeah, I think it'll be um, at least annual um, and, and looking to expand the number of breweries that participate uh, pending kind of the fundraising that they can uh, they can raise both from the beers that that each of the breweries and cideries uh, produce where the proceeds will go back to the internship program, um, but also through general donations out there. And I think it's just a, you know, uh, one of many great causes that we're seeing out there in the industry to really, you know, put our, you know, put our money where our mouth is and, you know, make sure that, you know, actions speak louder than words and that we're really um, taking steps to create more diversity within the industry rather than just talking about how uh, not diverse we are. 
yeah, we're going to have quite a few conversations on that at our upcoming fall conference. And one question I have for you, though, is, you know, with this initiative that your brother helped be part of, you know, how many applicants do you know that, that they have for it and how are they promoting it out there to people to apply for? Um, so I don't remember how many applicants they had in total of, of folks participating in the internship. Um, I know that um, they got more breweries wanting to be a part of it than they initially thought. So they, I think, initially thought they were only going to uh, be able to fund three internships and three participating breweries um, when they had, um, you know, the five plus a cidery, so six in total, say, hey, we want to be a part of this and do it. Um, they said, well, we're not going to limit the opportunities here. We're going to figure out how to how to make it work and you know, raise some extra funds to make sure that they could, you know, fund the fully paid internships at each of the breweries. Um, so certainly more brewery participation than they got. And and I can't I can't remember how many um, intern applications they, they got, but I'm sure it was quite a few. No, that's fantastic. You know, as we wind down this hour, I love to hear things like that first off, Colleen. But, you know, one thing that's been really important for everyone is just taking time for you over the past year and a half. It's been such a weird time period and i know staring at screens you're dealing with all the challenges faced by COVID, and just trying to pivot our business models it takes its toll on us physically and mentally what are the three of yours you know best suggestions for how you've been able to kind of keep your mental health in check through the past you know 18 months uh delegate and trust <laughs> now, David, is that something you did pre-pandemic or is that something you learned to do over the past uh, time period. Definitely, uh, like over the last year have definitely gotten better at just saying, hey, I need to delegate and trust, um, you know, especially uh, with a little prodding from the wife. Uh, <laughs> um, I definitely like, I, I actually got to take two vacations over this last like, you know, three months, like one to the Outer Banks and one to South Jersey, you know, like, and it was uh, really great to just be like, hey, here's a list of stuff to do. and just trust, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to like, you know, uh, let go. Uh, but also it's, it's, I think it's imperative, um, that we are able to do so. What's been the hardest thing for you to let go? Uh, I, I mean, honestly, brewing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the rest of it is, is, has been a little bit easier as long as I, you know, I definitively have standard operating procedures in place, you know, and I'm able to say, here's your checklist of stuff. Um, you know, that that's, that's the easiest, but you know, brewing is still uh, something that is uh, kind of held on to by me. No, I completely understand. Tristan, how about you? You know, how have you kept yourself sane the past while? Uh, well, plus side where I don't have any responsibilities apart from just operating. Uh, I, it's a little easier there, but uh, as far as helping keep myself sane, it's just, getting out, riding the bike, hit the hills. I think being outdoors has been a key aspect of my time as well. It definitely that fresh air, it helps clear my mind. <laughs> Colleen, besides taking two month long nomadic trips, I mean, is that your secret to productivity? I mean, a little bit. I, I think, you know, uh, the pandemic taught us all different things about ourselves and for me, I, I knew that I was a very extroverted person, but it got really like amplified about just how much I was uh, not somebody uh, to be cooped up in one spot and how much I enjoy meeting new people and being on the road. And so I think that played in both to launching the consulting company where I get to now collaborate and work and meet with a ton of people across the industry rather than working with the same people every single day. But uh, certainly also, uh, triggered me to throw all of my stuff in storage and hit the road for the foreseeable future. So do you have you found a place with a roof over your head now or are you crashing at random friends or family members? Uh, crashing here and there. I'm uh, I'm about to go on vacation with my family. So I'm back in Charlotte. And then uh, my next voyage will be uh, I'm kicking off post Labor Day for a 11 week, 19 stop cross round country uh, road trip. So uh, I'm sure the next time we talk, I, I have no idea where I'll be. Um, but it, Will it, you be in Denver? It, like, Will I see you in Denver? Um, I'm actually not making it out to Denver. Well, I'm not making it out to Denver for CBC, um, but I will be in Denver on my uh, journey. I, I just don't remember exactly what date that will be. 
Well, it sounds like you have another amazing journey lined up. And one last question for you three, lightning round. What is one goal you have for yourself or your business over the next year? Whoever's ready to jump in, just cut me off and jump right on in. I I'd mean, like for to see people in our building. One Go more time. <laughs> so I'd like to, I'd like us to get people in the building again. Yeah, I would love to see that as well. I would love to visit. I mean, looking at yeah, the pictures online, it looks like a beautiful facility in a beautiful place in Kentucky. Uh, we're we're looking to like build a uh, a new porch area uh, onto onto our building. Uh, that's that's on our goals. Just getting the guy to do it on the site plan has been a little bit uh, fun. Uh, <laughs> Good luck with that. I'm sure it'll turn out amazing. And Colleen, goal yeah, for the year. I mean you know, we're only, uh, you know, four months into having second sip launch to really trying to just grow the awareness and get to a point where we have a pretty steady stream of, of new business coming in. Um, you know, there will always be a level of churning up new business as a consultancy, but, uh, hopefully that gets into a more steady flow of things. And I think you bring great insights to the table. And so I know any brewer that reaches out to you is going to be very luck lucky to get that. But Tristan, Colleen, David, this has been fun. I've enjoyed hanging out with everybody virtually today as we've done a lot of the past 18 months, but looking forward to moving forward, you know, with a little positivity and hopefully see everybody in person at some point. So thank you three for joining today and I'll talk to you later. See you awesome. everyone. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Cheers.